Hello, everyone. We're two men down this week, but we are a couple of limited edition shirts up, a human centipede up, a boxed shirt up, and a PSG special. Welcome to They Think It's All Over. Hello, it's me, Tom, at ShirtFan, and I'm taking the reins this week, but I am joined by our regular host, Adrian. Hi, Tom. How you doing, all right? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Feeling a bit lonely, just you and me, but we'll be all right. It feels very intimate, doesn't it? I have to say. Yeah. I, yeah so Mike's got a one-week suspension for something that he said a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Scott's got a slightly longer ban, hasn't he? I think he's going to be missing for a couple of weeks, isn't he? Yeah, the C-U-N-T word count. Uh, yeah, Ofcom didn't like that, did they? <laughs> well, it's kind of fitting, really, isn't it, that this week is those two missing because we have a later episode this week due to Champions League reasons. We've got a bit of a Champions League special this week with a PSG feature that those two guys very heavily focused on. But as a Villa fan and a Man United fan, Champions League is no longer their speciality. So that's possibly why they're not here. But there is plenty of news, kit news that we are going to touch on, including a couple of limited editions. We should probably start with what is always a huge deal. And it's this Dortmund's shirt in a box. Shirt in a box. I think you're a bit more damning than that, weren't you, Tom, during the week when it was released? I just, do you know what? I think I've made no secret about my lack of affection for Dortmund shirts. They just don't do a lot for me. And this shirt in particular doesn't do a lot for me. Again, I'm not raining on anyone's parades, horses for courses, but the blackout shirt's not really my thing. And this, I mean, if someone said to you that you would design a shirt based on a lump of coal, I'm not sure that would make it past the pitch for me but this is what they've gone for and I know it's all linked to the area and the industry of Dortmund but I don't know what do you think you're a fan there's a story there I'll, 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 I'll err on the side of caution and say I'll let them off it's not one for me but um hey there's a narrative to it and I'll go along with it the box is nice box is nice but it's not the best box we've seen this week <laughs> I mean if there's one thing AIK are good at it's boxes arguably better than the shirts uh, I don't know. I think some people go to war with me on that, but um, but yeah, the new AIK limited edition stock, the Stockholm edition, was it called this this um, this version of it? And this um, takes inspiration from one of the oldest paintings in of Stockholm, and that's sort of like the image, very famous painting, and that's sort of like the image that you see within the body of a shirt. And as usual, it's got that glorious crest on it, with almost looks glitter like. Yeah, and the, the special Nike logo, but it's also the Stockholm shirt as well because it's a bit of Stockholm syndrome I think people captured by the allure of these limited editions and feel compelled to buy them every year but we'll probably do that one there maybe <laughs> I, I did lo- I did enjoy that Tom the amount of times I saw our picture um of the box appear throughout social media over the uh the days that um that followed after we put a sneaky little watermark on a picture didn't we that we tweeted and spread far yeah. and wide didn't it far and wide all across the world possibly further than these shirts will reach themselves because is there only 132 of them i think it's it's 132 to 
fans uh, by the club, which I think season ticket holders get entered into a raffle. And if their name gets picked out, they get the chance to buy a shirt. And the another 132, I believe, go to ProDirect. Is that right? I think so, yeah. It's, again, Scott is normally the man in the know for the for this kind of thing. But yeah, I, feel, I believe that's right. He has mentioned it quite a few times on the old group chat. Hey, he's a... Uh... Yeah, I saw I actually saw him last week. I'm sure people have seen him. He came to visit me at work. He's very well behaved. Tried to get a picture of him with Man City's title winning shirt, to which I got told to fuck off. So <laughs> this is also why he's not here today. And then one last kit release I think definitely deserves a mention. You were a huge fan of this limited edition Bari shirt last season, and they have done it again. And it's going to be worn, I believe, was it worn last weekend? It's going to be worn twice anyway. It's going to be worn two consecutive match weekends. And it pays homage to what was a goal celebration made famous after a 2-0 win at the San Siro against Inter Milan in 94-95. It's an interesting design. I mean, if for people that haven't seen it, how would you describe it? Okay, let's, let's take a step back, right? So I knew this shirt was coming. I was getting quite excited for this shirt because like, I think generally most people agree last year's were fantastic. Even the training shirt range last year was brilliant. So it came out probably last Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. And I got a text message from um, from Simon. That's Simon's doing life. Yeah, he's into his fashion. He's into his football shirts. And he, he dropped me a message. And he said, the shirts are out. Here's the link um, with some pictures. Yeah, he said, he said, don't tweet it. Don't share it from your uh, podcast account. I don't want people to know. I want to go in and, and I want a training top. And I sort of clicked the link and I looked at it and I was like, this is a joke. Like, honestly, this is a joke. So I sent him the the, the shirt back. And the only way to describe it is the human centipede. I mean, lots of people have said it. It's not just me, but it does look like um, guys, maybe some girls there, I don't know. But some some people having a very good time um, joined up together. And... I sort of said to him, that's what it looks like. Are you really getting a training shirt? Because the training shirt's even worse. It's just entirely the pattern of uh, the people crawling along the floor together. Um, Choo-choo train. I think it's. I think that's it. what its official name is, the train. Um, <laughs> but you're going to be a brave man, I think, wearing that to the pub on a, for a Sunday roast, aren't you? I don't think it even went down that well there because there were still shirts in most sizes available in the evening. And, and last year... Uh, it, it was it was a absolute you know dogfight to try and try and get the shirt. Well, I mean they're definitely corner in the market, similarly to AIKR. You know, last year we had the uh, the octopus shirt, which is very popular in the Far East, and now this year we've got the human centipede shirt. So it's definitely you know aimed at a certain type of individual out there. Simon doing life, obviously one of them. So good luck, he's, Simon. He's looking forward to the glory hole shirt of uh, 2024. I think it's worth saying though on the Dortmund shirt, people don't know because uh, the queues were horrendous for people trying to get hold of those shirts. I think I saw certain people had like seven, eight devices in, in the you know, on in the queue trying to trying to get hold of shirts, and they appeared on eBay and all the usual reseller sites at silly silly markups. Uh, they have gone back on pre-release, so people have been able to people are able to reorder them and, and make sure they get one at a normal price direct from source but not arrive until september is what i've heard not arrive until september i mean maybe they're just being a bit cautious um that'll still be probably before some people get their manto damasa shirts <laughs> well that is very 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 true anything else this week adrian that's caught your eye we should mention mls but then we're working on something special for that aren't we 
Yes, Mike is the man in the know for all things MLS. So that will be coming to you very shortly. But I guess in that case, let's move on to our feature that Mike and Scott were present for as they spoke to Tom Scholes about all things Paris Saint-Germain. So we are delighted today to be joined by TalkSport editor and author of City of Stars, Tom Scholes. Good, good evening. Good evening. Yes, definitely evening. So uh, thank you again for having me on. It's been a... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And, and again, thank you for giving up the time to, to come and speak to us about what is, you know, one of the most favourite books that I've read um, recently. Everybody knows that I am a big PSG fan most of it coming from the transfer of my hero, David Beckham, and the, uh, the brand of Jordan taking over some shirts. But, but reading, the, reading the book has really, you know, it's made me appreciate Paris Saint-Germain a lot more. And I think anybody that, would, that doesn't have an appreciation of them and thinks that they're just money-grabbing, uh, big-spending glory hunters, I think everybody should read the book and it might actually give you a, a different perspective. So I suppose the first question I would have for you is, why did you decide to write a book about PSG? Precisely what you've just said, to be perfectly honest. The amount of people I speak to who come up with the same stock answers about them of, you know, Qatari money or like, all the kind of things that come along with that. And then, you you know, all glory hunters never won the Champions League, don't have a pedigree, they're not a proper club. I've heard one particular radio personality describe them as a Fabergé egg of a football club and whilst I can understand some people look at them in that particular way because they they haven't known of them prior to the 2010s they can list off player after player since Qatar took the club over I'm sure if we did this now you could list the majority of the players they have signed but there is a club with a unique history behind that prior to Qatar taking over and there is definitely kind of like a a, a pre-Qatar, post-Qatar, or current Qatar with Paris Saint-Germain. And my whole idea of it was I, I would hear these people talk about the club and just go, no, if, if, if they were to say that Manchester City have a history, and this isn't meant to be a, a, a slam of Man City, even though it's going to sound like one, Paris Saint-Germain have, have a bigger history certainly since the 70s than Manchester City in my opinion people can feel free to disagree with that and that's perfectly okay but if one person was to say that they have more history than Paris Saint-Germain my purpose of this book was to kind of go okay if you believe it that's fine but here is a whole host of reasons as to why there is some history at this club it didn't just appear in 2010 in 2011 there's been other things that have happened there's been other trophies won other star players that everybody loves have played for that club at different points in their career. So my whole purpose of it was to kind of just say, look, guys, if you don't like the club now, that's one thing. That's entirely up to you. But there is a whole world and a whole host of stories that happened prior to the takeover that I think is important to understand the culture of the fans, the culture of how Paris Saint-Germain is viewed in France, certainly. When you're talking about like the rivalry with, rivalry with Marseille. But also... It's just to give an understanding of these things have happened. There is no kind of like 
there was nothing in Paris, and then all of a sudden Paris Saint-Germain turned up, which ironically is kind of what happened, but not when people thought it did. It was just a case of here is a here's a, a short history of a young club. Make of what you will with it. If it changes your opinion of them, job done. If it doesn't change your opinion of them, then I've given examples of what has happened with the club historically to make people kind of think differently about them. So like, like you touched on, they, they, are, they are a young club. They've got a history, but they are a young club. But obviously it was a bit of a meteoric rise for them, really, as well, wasn't it? So they were formed in 1970, but it didn't take them long to start picking up silverware, did it? No, this is, this is precisely it. I think, I guess you could probably say this is about French football more than anything else, but French football back in... Certainly, prior to Paris Saint Germain's dominance, was probably even before Lyon's dominance in the mid 2000s. Anybody could have won the league, even when Marseille had their riches under Bernard Tapper. They there was a quite an open race in terms of who could win the league, and it, it ranges from Bordeaux to Lille to Nantes did it every now and again. Marseille won it. Marseille was Monaco. There was a whole host of teams that did it, and then you even go back to like the 80s when you had Michel Platini, Saint-Étienne who were not just successful in France, but successful to an extent in European competitions as well. So there was talent across there. So the rise that they went through, because they were formed in 1970, there was a bit of an issue in 1972, and they kind of had to split the club in two. And they started again, essentially, from the lower reaches of French football, and then worked all their way up. And it was years before they really established themselves as a mainstay in the top division, first division it used to be called there. And it... It is quite remarkable when you consider some of the other clubs that have popped up in recent times and how long it takes them to get to a certain position. You know, one that comes to my head immediately is someone like AFC Wimbledon, where I think that would be considered a meteoric rise in comparison to some other clubs. And even then, they've flitted between third division and fourth division in English football. Yet that's still a meteoric rise, whereas Paris Saint-Germain have gone from second division all the way to European semi-finals in the space of 20-odd years. I think that's incredible, to be perfectly honest. And, and it wasn't until the 90s where they had any kind of permanent resources. They had um, a, a wealthy-ish owner within the 70s and 80s, but he wasn't, he wasn't Tape levels. He wasn't Berlusconi levels. And I'm going to get the best players I want because I can. It was a different kind of strategy. And they signed some top players and they rose up the table to the point where they were winning cups, they were challenging for league titles. What I found out during this was Gerard Houliat won them some trophies as well. Someone I didn't even know managed the club. And it was like, that's I kind of proved my own point to myself in a way, where I was looking through the history of the club and kind of went, oh my God, yeah, they really had risen really quickly and then became challenges quite comfortably in a majority of seasons there was a couple of off seasons of course that always I think that's the case certainly well, perhaps not now for elite level clubs but back in you know, the 70s 80s and 90s an off season wasn't too 
unfamiliar for some of these people, for some of these clubs rather. And I think, you know, the, the, what, <laughs> the rise that they went on, I found quite impressive, certainly given the level of competition they were coming up against in France anyway. It's just fascinating, you know, the struggle that they had to get going and, you know, the, the argument with the, the, the in, inner politics of the Parisian council and, and who they were backing and threatening to lot, not let them use stadiums and things. I mean, the fact that they're even a club at all right now is, is a testament to them and, and doesn't fill that narrative of, oh, they've just been bought by, you know, they've, they've battled relegation. They started in, in the second division. And I mean, I, I don't want to say too much because I want people to buy the book and read the book. But, you know, the, 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 the iconic things that are associated with the club, there was so many of them that were so close to not happening. I mean, the whole RTL sponsorship story is incredible. I mean, that's, and especially for shirt collectors, you know, Paris Saint-Germain or French shirt collectors love that RTL era of PSG. And if, and if they haven't researched it or they haven't read your book, they will have no idea how close that was to not even happening. That's, that's, but that is exactly why I wanted to kind of not just know what happened, but understand why it happened. So when people do read it, they, they can, if they do own like an RTL shirt or even like a Commodore shirt, kind of understanding like, oh, right, so this is how this happened or this is what this part was and this is what happened here. I... I because a lot of the, a lot of the time it was a case of me interesting myself with it and kind of remembering I have to like put it into words and not just read it for myself and that was that was really interesting but I think also as well like the the, the way that their iconic kit came about as well I had always assumed it had been the uh, navy blue with the red and white down the middle it wasn't until the, later on where that came about and I thought. That's one of the things I would associate with the club, you know, the same way that, you know, if you were to look at Manchester United in the 90s, for example, one of the shirts that comes to mind is the old laces one, the, the mm. one with the laces down the middle. And that's one of the things that everyone kind of just is taken as iconic. No, I, I don't know why it was there. I'm, I'm sure somebody does, but that's what I wanted to do with like the Paris Saint-Germain stuff. Where it's like, okay, this is a, a fairly iconic kit or at least the basis of my iconic kit for many, many years going forward. And it's still a it's still a point of contention amongst the fan base now because a lot of them, if you look at some of the more modern kits, they don't fit into the traditional style of the of the navy on either side of the red stripe or red or white stripe down the middle. And a lot of them kind of go, No, if you're going to do a Paris Saint-Germain kit, it has to have that. It can't be like I remember there was one that was kind of like a like a, not a squiggly line, but kind of like a heart rate monitor going down the middle. And it weren't very good. It just wasn't that good. It was kind of ruined as well with the with the Fly Emirates logo down the middle. But there's like levels to it. And especially like the one last season, a lot of fans didn't like it because it didn't suit what the club was about. And that's kind of what I wanted to do is there are traditions, not just with the kit, but with the club in general, the fans still hold dear to them. It was interesting to find out just how these these kit ideas and sponsorships came about, and why people feel so passionately about them. Also, you mentioned the the, the iconic, I believe it's called a hectare stripe that PSG use. So, for anybody that doesn't know, um, I mean, who who is Hector? How did that come about? So, Daniel Hector was a fashion designer, a French fashion designer within the mid uh, 
the 70s and 80s and he wanted to kind of, you know, this sounds like every football club owner ever, but he wanted to own a football club in a similar way that they kind of like how people in, in a midlife crisis buy a car to show that they have the money <laughs> and they can do it. That's kind of like the, the millionaire, billionaire's midlife crisis, I'm going to buy a football club. And he kind of did it with, with Paris because I think what he associated Paris with was kind of like fashion Paris. Yes, let's merge the two together. He didn't want them to be just be another club. He wanted them to be a, to be a bit more than that. And he was very passionate about it. And one of the, one of the things he did, he, he, he implemented the kit himself. I think, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've, I remember reading this. So there may be one or two bits missing or misremembered. But he designed the kit itself, I think. And it was kind of just like, if there's anybody you want to design your kit, it's A, the club owner, and B, a fashion designer. It just happened that they had the same in the, the two things in the same person. So it kind of paid off there. But he kind of wanted to give them that identity of what we see now with the club, which is, you know, if you ever go to the Parc de France, it's everywhere. Them colours are everywhere. They're all over the badge. They are the French colours. Because I think what he really wanted to do was kind of go, Paris is France, and Paris Saint-Germain will be France's club. I don't think that really is the case, to be perfectly honest. Certainly not when he did that. But that was part of the reason why he did it. And it, you know, paid off massively. Because if you see that kit, even without a badge on it, I think the majority of people know exactly. They might not know the intricacies of it. They may not know the name of it, why it came about. But they know who it belongs to. So I think that's why he wanted to do it. It's kind of like be the first part to really embolden their image. Are you in the Amst- uh, Ajax camp or the Mustang camp, <laughs> as in why it came about? I'm going to go Ajax because, let's be honest, it's exactly why. Let's not beat around the bush. It isn't. It's exactly why. Because, yes, it's all well and good, kind of like going with the call. It was, it was after a Mustang, actually. It's like Ajax with the team of that era. Let's not. Like, that's just how it was. I'm guessing that's a debate that... That, that's been there is is whether that where that influence came from then so Ajax or a Mustang pretty much yeah <laughs> I think there were certainly maybe not now because again the intricacies of it wasn't known but certainly at the time people were going saying oh you just copied Ajax's kit and they go no 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 the Mustang is why this is a thing and they give the whole spiel of you know this is France's colours and everything like that and you kind of just go well it's not <laughs> You've copied you know it. It, it's, it, it's, it's good to know that all this nonsense marketing spiel goes back as far as that, to be honest with you, because one of the things that we as kit collectors talk about and, and a lot of us dislike is that when a new kit's released, there is always some long, you know, literature that goes with a kit release to explain exactly why it looks the way it does. And most of the time, we're not stupid. We all know that it's either influenced by something else they're drawing sort of like uh, um, try, trying to pay homage to another kit or it's just been designed and it looks that way. So it is good to uh, to know. But just what us one kits, I think like you say, the one thing I, I love about a PSG kit is is the fact that, as you say, it's instantly recognisable. And I know that there are a few phases, like I think it was early 90s. It was actually their white kit that was the home kit. So, you know, it, mm. it flipped about a little bit. But they, they haven't had a lot of kit manufacturers either. So so obviously they had the Lecoq Sportive kits, 
they kind of flirted with Adidas for a few years in the, the late 80s. But then since then, I mean, it's a really, really long reign with with Nike and some really good iconic kits. Have you got a favourite of, of, of some of those? I think anything in the 90s, to be perfectly honest, I know this kind of like the, the, the cool thing to say, that when somebody says, oh, what's your favourite kit? And it's like, oh, you know, it's got to be the one from the 90s because everybody always says that. <laughs> it's never anything from like five years ago. But um, no, I think... I kind of like break them down in again in a post in a, in a modern and a pre-modern time. So in terms of the modern kids, one of the ones that I really liked was it was from probably about three or four years ago. It was the away kit, and it was just it was the white shirt, like we said, that was like white with a collar, and it had straight down there was kind of like I think it was blue and red, and it was a homage to the old white home shirt. And you know. I, as a man of carriage, white doesn't suit me as much as it used to. So it was rare that I wore it. Um, but I, it was one of the ones that I saw it and was just like, now nah, this is too slick not to at least have because it's so different from, you know, the, the pink kit they had not too long ago. Or I think they had one that was purple with black trim and white arms. And it's like, you've just done the guitar flag. Mm, all right bit basic it also looks terrible so i'm not interested in this but no i think in terms of like so you got the, i really like the black jordan one as well that had the white thing down the middle that was really cool but in terms of like the older ones i really liked the, the mid noughties like appel ones that right now is probably associated yeah. both with ronaldinho because i try to look for them on certain kit selling websites and if i was to buy one I wouldn't be able to buy much else that month because they were extortionate. But in terms of the look of it, that is one of my favourite kits because it, I, and again, I think this plays an important part when it comes into the history of kits. No one remembers kits from bad teams or that don't have an iconic player in them. I always associate Ronaldinho with that and his performance in Le Classique at the Velodrome where he was on fire. And it went, everyone in France kind of just went, he's inconsistent, but he's amazing. And I always associate with that. Like, even the ones from the 90s, I think they recently started selling uh, the old like Commodore or Muller kits on the website is one of them official retro things, and it just it just looks horrible to me. I'm, I'm sure for people that grew up in that era, it was one of the like the fascinating things about it, but it just looks god awful in my opinion. And <laughs> I'm not going to beat around the bush. There's too much going on. It looks like, <laughs> like a NASCAR car or like a race car. There's just too much. There's too much for you to focus on, and it kind of takes away from what the shirt is and whilst I do associate that with Wayo and everyone like that I just think it's ugly and I just think if my first recollection of a Paris Saint-Germain kit is the old Pauletta Ronaldinho era and that's what I always associate with but in terms of like modern stuff a lot of like I didn't like last season that kind of looked like a basketball shirt with sleeves with like the rounded neck and the navy it just didn't it didn't suit the club it doesn't suit the traditions of it and 
what I think they need to do better going forward. And I know this isn't strictly the question, but it fits into that whole kind of the, the tradition of it. Some clubs should have kits that look, they should follow a tradition. Like Arsenal should have right and, uh, white and red. But how they do it is up to them, as long as it's not like hoops or stripes or whatever, everything like that. But there is a design that fits it. And I think this is similar. It has to fit a certain way. And by going away from it, you're going away from what your club is. And people like myself, and I'm sure you guys associate the club with a particular kit as well. It's all, it, it creates memories at the end of the day. As much as people like kits, they like looking at a kit and remembering something amazing coming from it. It's, it's, it's funny, actually, because from a kit collector perspective, I think sometimes we may look at things a little bit differently. Like, I do agree with you, like, traditions and history and stuff are incredibly important. And I will be honest in that I... I like a break from tradition with certain clubs. Like, so I'm an Aston Villa fan. I collect Bayern Munich shirts. One of the things I love about Bayern Munich shirts is the sheer variety of the home shirts they've had over the years. There's no set formula for what a Bayern Munich home shirt is. With Villa, some of my favourites are the ones that have broken because a lot of Villa fans have the same thought that we should have a claret shirt with blue sleeves. I do like that, but I also love the break from the traditions that we've had. However, having said that, there are a few clubs around the world that I just don't think ever should break that. And I will be honest with you, PSG is one of them. I just, I think that when a kit is as iconic as that, and it's the same with Ajax, again, as kit collectors, we kind of laugh and mock Ajax a little bit because we always say they've had the same kit for about 112 years, but that there is a history to it. So I actually, I think I would agree with you. And I think Obviously, the fan base think the same too, because obviously there's been, I mean, there were even protests, weren't there, when the, the Hector strike was missing from, from one of the shirts. So, so yeah, I think that, that idea is, is definitely resonating. But it's funny that you, your favourite shirts are ones that are not necessarily from sort of like the glory years as well, because obviously the, the Ronaldinho area and certainly following on from that a little bit, sort of like 06 to 08. I mean, PSG were better, probably people probably don't even realise this. They were basically fighting relegation those seasons, weren't they? So I, do, yeah. I, think, it's, I think it's amazing that your, your favourite kits come out of that sort of era as well. So I am a bit of a Ronaldinho fanboy when it comes <laughs> to things like that. So that's maybe what, that's, that might be why I like that kit more than anything. But that's really interesting that you'd say that, you know, you're the Ronaldinho fan because a lot of people associate Ronaldinho with good times, even at PSG. But it is, in fact, the complete opposite, isn't it? And, mm. you know, it's, it's almost as if they're, they're remembering him playing for them because of the player he became, but not of the player he was at the club, wasn't that? And he was on the... 100%. And what do they call it? It's not the wall of fame, but it's, it's kind of like Arsenal's thing, isn't it? Where they have the ex-players. Um, yes, the murals around the ground. That's it, yeah. They've got like actual legends there. And they've got David Beckham there. Notice I've separated Beckham from actual legends. Because, <laughs> you know, I've got no issue with the bloke. Never met him. Never going to meet him. Right? But it's an absolute travesty that anybody even suggests that he's a Paris Saint-Germain legend. He's a notable player that played for the club. That's, about, that's, that's where it starts, and that's where it ends. I understand why he's so prominent around the club. I get it. Like Having his image around is such a big deal. But I think what you kind of said around Ronaldinho kind of fits into that as well, where people remember who... For Ronaldinho, they remember who he became, and with Beckham, they remember who he was. But for Ronaldinho... It's easy to forget 
again, unintentionally linking the two. The reason he joined Barcelona is because he couldn't sign Beckham. So that, that was it. He was a wonderful player. And if you speak to people who were around Paris Saint-Germain at the time and fans at the time, they all, every club has had this. I'm sure your clubs have had this. There is a player that you have who is undoubtedly talented. Unbelievable talent. Every now and again. And it always comes up with one of my least favourite phrases when you hear about a player on his day. On his day, Ronaldinho was the best player in the world, Paris Saint-Germain. On other days, you'd forget he played. And again, it's like you said, people remember him for what he was at Barcelona and to an extent AC Milan and with Brazil, not what he was at Paris Saint-Germain. He was a, he was a very good player. He was an outstandingly talented player from time to time. It wasn't the consistency we saw in like 2004, five and six when he was, you know, without a doubt, the best player in the world. But the feeling amongst the fans now and back then was no doubt brilliant player, no doubt a top, top player. But it was when the application was there for him, when he wanted to be the best player in the pitch, he was without a doubt. When he wasn't feeling it, you could tell. And it kind of is a foreshadowing to what his career became, where he was overtaken by people who were far more consistent, who perhaps didn't have the talent he did, but produced more regularly. And that's that's why, you know, his stats particularly aren't probably looked at in the same way that others are, because, you know, again, this is going to make me sound old to certain people, but you have to be there to see you. You have to see him play to understand what it was about. And I think people would appreciate that in Paris, where they would watch him at his peak and go, wow, this is a superstar in the making. It just didn't happen long enough for him to be in the same category as Pauletta or George Weyer, for example. And speaking of iconic players, do you want to touch on why it is possible to potentially get a hold of a match-worn Cruyff shirt, even though he actually never played for the club? Because if I remember correctly, and again, I said this earlier on, it's been a while, so a lot has happened in my life since then. So I apologise if I get this wrong in any way. But if I remember correctly, he kind of like played a charity friendly for a Paris Saint-Germain 11 because he was mates with Daniel Hector. And at the end of the game, Hector had, there's a picture of it. I'm not making this up. There is a picture of Cruyff in a Paris Saint-Germain shirt and Hector kind of said jokingly, do you want to come play for his lab? I'm paraphrasing. I don't actually think he said that. And <laughs> Troy kind of went, he, he was umming and ahhing about it, but he couldn't quite make it happen. But there was definitely like a, a want for that to happen. So yet yeah, somewhere out there in the world, there is a match-worn Johan Troy Paris Saint-Germain shirt that is worn by Troy, played in a game by Troy, but never, but, but, never officially played for the club. I, it kind of reminds me, it gives me vibes of the Diego Maradona Tottenham Hotspur Holston top. Mm. From the, I think it was the Ardiles' testimonial, where every now and again, people post, put the photo around and go, when did Maradona play for Tottenham? It's like, in a one-off testimonial, mate, come on. And I think it's that kind of, that kind of vibe. But it's, again, that falls into that, one of them funny little intricacies that no one knows about. But there is a world where Pelé plays for Paris Saint-Germain or Johan Cruyff plays for Paris Saint-Germain. Again, 
it was definitely it definitely had nothing to do with Ajax though. Nothing to do with Ajax. It was all about the Mustang. Yes, he might have been best mate with Cruyff, and yes, the shirts may have followed the same pattern. But it definitely had nothing to do with Ajax. It definitely had nothing to do with them. <laughs> some some of them some of them almost in that in the book are unbelievable. I mean, you've touched on Cruyff and Pele, not to mention Platini, uh, mm. Beckenbauer, and and Stoichkov. I mean the. You know, we Paris Saint Germain already have a plethora of iconic players in the Hefter strike, but some of the ones that they could have had is is just unbelievable. And how close they were! This isn't, you know, this isn't the Glasgow Rangers almost signed Ronaldo. This was properly negotiations were in. They they were they were almost there. Yeah, I think my favourite one of them was the Platini one because it's the love letters, like basically, dear Mister Platini. I'm a huge fan of your. If, if if you read them, if you read them as, as from the point of Daniel Hector, it is a come and get me plea from the owner, which is very odd. But if you read it from like a, from my perspective, and if you put like a little like sad backdrop behind it when you read it, it reads like Stan from Eminem. It's like, dear Mister Cleaney, <laughs> I wrote you, but you still haven't called back. And it's like he was desperate. That would have been a game changer. But then, like, like even the, even the Stoichkov one was interesting because it was like a domino effect of this player has to join this club for this to happen. And it's like, wasn't it? Monaco had to have Klinsmann join them to let Weyer go, but Stoichkov was still at Barcelona, so Paris Saint-Germain bought Weyer instead, or something along those lines. And you kind of just go, one, that's so 90s transfers, that just wouldn't happen now. But again, it does fall into the what-if category, because I think it was before, I think, again, Apologise if we've got this wrong, but I think this was before the '94 World Cup, so it would have been before like Stoichkov has that time with Bulgaria, but he was still a superstar. So again, it's just I think it's just fun to go back and look at the what ifs of a club like that who already have, as you said, a plethora of legends who missed out on a plethora of legends. Don't you know? As a Tottenham fan, I can give you the list of players that almost signed for us but were stuck in traffic or like their dog had to go to the vet or something. <laughs> and then, yeah, they signed for Man United instead and won the treble or some nonsense like that. But it's always interesting <laughs> to go back and look at look at things along those lines and go, wow, what if Platini did go there instead of, you know, Senesien or Juve or something like that? I just, it's fun to think of because what, what difference would it have made? What difference would Stoichkov made to Weyer? All that Pele in that team, it would have been amazing. So, I, firstly, I think Stoichkov in that team would have been amazing. He's a bit of a, a favourite of mine. But let, just before, before we wrap up, we, all, we always finish the, 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 the pod on a particular question, which I'll, I'll kind of tweak for you a little bit. But just, just so for anybody that's listened to this, I think their, their interest is going to be piqued a little bit. So the book is called City of Stars, The Controversial Story of Paris Saint-Germain. I can see it's available through Pitch Publishing. I've had a quick look. It's available on Amazon, so I can imagine it's available, you know, anywhere you get your books from, basically. So firstly, I'd implore anybody, including me, because I haven't read it yet. It's Scott that's read it. Uh, needs to go out and get that book and give it a read, because from what I've heard today, it sounds fascinating. But just to wrap up, one of the questions we always ask is we usually ask somebody a bit of a fantasy question. So I'm going to tweak it a little bit for you. If you could have any player dressed up to play a game in any kit from any era of PSG, which player would you have liked to seen in which PSG kit? Good God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my favourite player of all time has literally played for the club. 
So it's a bit of a cop out to say, oh, I would like to see Ronaldinho in the 2003 Opal kit or the Thompson kit. Um, that's a bit of a cop out. Um, and my second favourite player is Messi, who currently plays for them. So that, that is again a cop out. <laughs> you could you could always cross Messi over with that Thompson kit. That would work. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to cheat a little bit. I quite like to see Ronaldinho in one of the Jordan kits because I think if you were to have him in a Jordan shirt now, if you were to transport him and what he, and how massive he was at the time to now in the black Jordan, I think it was the first one for the Champions League, it was black with the white stripe down the middle. If you had him in that kit, I think the kids would say it's saucy. I think that's what they say. So I think that would be <laughs> the, the source on the man would be, it'd be sensate vibes and all, all of that kind of thing. But I think I'd have to go with that. Because I think, I, I oh, think that's be... a brilliant answer, to be honest. I'm sure yeah. Scott's going to approve of that one as well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, thanks for that. And as I say, I think that was genuinely a good answer. But just to let everybody know as well, so um, they can find you on Twitter and you are at underscore Tom Scholes. And yep. just to plug it again, the book is called City of Stars. Everybody has to go and buy it and has to read it because it sounds brilliant. And I'm going to do exactly that myself. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you very much. A lot of late nights after um, shifts on a particular radio station uh, helped massively. So if anybody if anybody's listening to talk sport between the hours of 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., just remember that a couple of months ago, I used to do that shift and research this book. I have to say, you know, I know that a lot of people are opposed to PSG. But do not let that put you off that this is a PSG book. Because aside from the fact that it is a book about PSG, it literally has everything. You know, the, from the scandals to the almost being bankrupt to the takeovers. to And, and, it, and it's very <coughs> pertinent, actually, given that we've just finished the recent World Cup that's been full of scandal in Qatar. And, you know, the, the, the takeover and everything that's, that had happened most recently... You know, it's a very it's a very poignant book, and there's a lot of you know modern uh, issues in there that the book covers as well. So please, please don't be put off if you're a, a PSG hating <laughs> football fan, because aside from aside from who the book is about, it's, it is a really fascinating read. It's almost like a novel. I swear, it's it's got scandals, it's got bribery, it's got everything. It's so good. <laughs> Thanks for coming on again, Tom. Uh, it's uh, good of you to give us your time. Um, as I say, I've seen on Pitch Publishing, you've got another book called Stateside Soccer, which I think could be another good pod episode with some fascinating kit talk. So maybe we'll have to get you back on again for that. So thank you very much. No, it's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Really take. I love taking the time out to talk about the club and just kind of almost set the record straight in some way because, it, as you said, there's PSG haters, there's PSG lovers. But what I can assure that if, if you do read this book, whatever side you're on, there is a bit of everything for you. Read. You know, If you want to read about what Qatar are like, it's in there. It's not hidden away. It's taken on because you can't, you can't avoid it. It's one of the things that the fans are a bit uncomfortable with, one of the things I personally am a bit uncomfortable with, but I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are other fans of other clubs who don't like certain things that happen at their club as well. So yeah, you know, if you want to read it, I would. I, I'd suggest it. I've heard it's quite fun to read. Um, it was fun to write. So yeah, I appreciate. Hey, appreciate you having me on. Really enjoyed it, and I, hopefully, hopefully everybody else enjoys it as well.
I really enjoyed that. I'm amazed that a book's been written and we managed to get 30 minutes on a club that's younger than Alan Shearer, but we managed it and there were some absolute nuggets in there. I mean, Pele, Platini and Cruyff all nearly playing for PSG. I, that's, that was honestly news to me. It's absolutely fascinating. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I mean, it did tell me so many things that I never knew. And I know Tom said that his aim was to kind of change this perception of PSG. And he definitely did do that with me. And I'm Mr. Cynical you know, <laughs> 99% of the time. But that Platini story was was great. And then, of course, Cruyff, I have seen the image of him playing in the friendly for PSG. And I, they're just quite cool, aren't they? I don't know. It's, it was certainly added a layer of cool. They're definitely cool, a pre, pre-guitar, but um, it's what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he... We'll let we'll let him off. We'll let him off. You know, we still got to see. Yeah, him no, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And do you know what? Yeah, I know we're a football shirt podcast, and we we talk about football shirts. But yeah, the link with football obviously is incredibly strong, given the nature of what we do. And I really do enjoy these features where sometimes we do focus a bit more on teams and 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 the sport that we all love as much as we do sort of have a backdrop of the football shirts. It's the reason we all collect, isn't it? At the end of the day, like we said last week, the, the shirts mean nothing without the sport. So that's why we don't collect rugby shirts. It's why we don't collect cycling jerseys. So, yeah, great to hear. And I hope we're able to do a few more of those kind of things in the future. But next week, AD, have we got anything coming up? We have got a few features recorded. So I think we've got another club special well two club specials on the way we've got a Liverpool special we've got an Atalanta special and I think we've got an MLS special in the pipeline and we are creeping closer to having another feature recorded with a former international footballer as well very very exciting well I hope you'll all forgive us for a bit of a delayed release this week we were still recovering from Valentine's Day last week that was the thing so we will see you in a little less time than usual next week but until see anyone, then tom it's a podcast we won't see anyone oh they'll hear us you know they, they're that's why that's us. why we do it like this people don't want to see us i mean we haven't got faces <laughs> for uh <laughs> for the tv have we well they think it's all over it is now <laughs>